Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome in to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It is the final recap that we know we will do of the 2020 season. Carolina on the road against Miami for one of the program's biggest wins in history. A 62-36 win, or 26 win, excuse me, over the Miami Hurricanes. The Tutorials dominated from the word go. A lot of stuff to talk about with this game, but really first, I think uh, we just have to address how big of a win this is. I said program-defining victory. There were a couple of people that wanted to phrase it a little bit differently, but it feels like program-defining will be a good way to sort of label it if Carolina can build off of this going forward the next couple of seasons. The biggest win Carolina's football had probably in your and I's lifetime as Tar Heel football fans. If this program elevates itself to the next level next season, you'll look back at this win as a big reason why you went on the road and demolished, which was at the time a top 10 team in the country. And the game wasn't as close as the final score indicated. So program defining is probably the best word. That's the biggest winner of Mac Brown since he came back home. For sure, and it's definitely one of probably the biggest ones he's ever had at Carolina in general in right. between his two stints as a Tar Heels head coach. And I was left completely stunned because I didn't think you'd get that performance from Carolina, mainly on the defensive end of the football, on the, on the other side of the football. But they just they, they they showed what they're capable of, and they beat a team very soundly, the team that I thought on paper was better than Carolina was, and they put that to rest pretty quickly. And, you know, you, you now feel like this, this season you accomplished something because if you lose this game, you go seven and four, you're probably not going to a bowl game just because of COVID. You're probably going to stay home, but now you put yourself in position to go to the Orange Bowl and you salvage a season where you started three and zero, was in the top five in the country for all the way out of the rankings. You lost a, a home game to Notre Dame in a game that you had a chance to win. Had you been able to have some protection issues up front. So you feel like you're still ascending in the right direction. So it was a great way to send out this senior class and a great way to build for 2021. You're still thinking about what punishment we're going to give you for not picking Carolina in this game and being wrong on that. Uh, 
our guy David Swing thinks that we should come up with something. So we got to figure out. I don't think there should be any punishment. I think you went in the game thinking Miami's better than Carolina. They're a more physical team. You didn't think you're going to stop the okay, let's, let's not take it that seriously. Okay. No, your feelings saying, are getting hurt over here. I'm just here. saying, like, no one in the country thought what was going to happen on Saturday. No, 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 nobody, nobody foresaw that big so, blowout coming. No, and I, no. I thought Carolina would play well enough to win the game. Obviously, they wouldn't make the plays to win the game. I was wrong. I'll come on here and admit that. But also, you leave that game being pissed off because where was this at Virginia and where was this at Florida State? That's the problem yeah. with these kind of performances is that that win's great, but does that win erase those bad losses you had on the road earlier in the season? Not for me. Well, it shows that you need to bring that type of energy that you're playing a top 10 opponent every week. You can't bring that energy only when you're playing ranked opponents. You've got to bring that energy – when you're playing some of those teams like Virginia as a team, you know, a team that we've talked about sees you as a rival. You don't see them as a rival, but they see you as one of the biggest games yeah. on their schedule. Florida State, a team that saw an opportunity to upset one of the nation's upstarts at the time. And you came in. I, I, now, granted, that game, I think, is a little less disappointing because that's the first time they've been in that situation. A lot of those guys were part of a team that a couple of years ago was winning two games. So th that was one that was a little more forgivable. That Virginia game is the one where I think you just look back and you're more frustrated. But look, we're not going to really look back on that just yet. We'll look back on that once we do our season recap, everything like that, sort of sum it up. Um, but, you know, let's just dive into more of the game itself. What happened in the game for Carolina um, the rushing performance, as legendary as it gets, uh, this is the best rushing performance by two running backs in the same game combined in NCAA history. 544 yards on the ground between Michael Carter and Javante Williams. Michael Carter, 308 yards, two touchdowns on 24 carries. Javante Williams, 236 yards and three touchdowns on 23 carries. So two things you can take away from this. Huge performance for Carolina on the ground. The guys made the plays in open space, ripping off a bunch of huge runs. Michael Carter, four carries of over 20 yards. Uh, Gervonta Williams, somewhere in that range as well. Um, but the other big thing that you could take away, something that you probably wouldn't have seen in recent years until Mac Brown got back, once there was success with the running game, Carolina stuck with it, 47 carries between the two running backs. That is normally unheard of, especially when you've got a quarterback as talented as Sam Howell. Yeah, um, you would have thought if you Carolina won the game, we'd come here and talk about Sam Howell, great day through the air, and he made the throws. And he had a great day through the air, and he made good throws. Carolina won the game because they won the battle the line of scrimmage, and they ran the football down Miami's throat, and they didn't stop. Yep. And there's nothing more demoralizing for a football team to line up and get your ass kicked for 60 minutes and watch a team run the ball down your throat. And that's what Carolina did, and they didn't stop. And that's beautiful to watch. And it shows you the commitment that Phil Longo has to the run, which is important because we had a lot of issues at times last year where we weren't as committed to the run game as we are this year. Yep. And that was a big issue with Larry Fedora's offense was that we'd go away from it. You have two 1,000 back rushers this year. And that's a, and, and that's you don't see that in modern college football, especially for a team that can throw the ball as well as Carolina can and likes to throw the football. But that's where the game was won and lost. And I thought – when we previewed the game, I thought Carolina would lose because I don't think they'd be able to move Miami's defensive line around. And now, granted, we were, both were questioning that. And yeah, we were dead ass wrong. Yeah, and wow. they they moved them around, and you could see in the first quarter, Miami's will to compete up front was gone. And if Carolina can get to that level and play with that kind of intensity, that level of physicality, the sky's the limit for this offense and for this program. 
because that's where they've got to get better if they want to take the next step. They showed you what they were capable of against Miami, who, granted, not the greatest defensive front in college football, but still probably a top three defensive line. They played really, really good defensive so, line, though. Two of the best pass rushers yeah. in the country, and guys that not only had done it in in pass rush, but had also been tackle for loss leaders. Both guys had over fourteen. Yeah. So, so it yeah. was that that was that was the biggest thing was that, and you, I mean, you ran for five hundred and fifty four yards. Yeah, you can't you can't just you can't just pass that off and say, oh well, you know Miami's defensive line yeah. is having a bad day. No, your offensive line stepped up when they needed to, especially the interior. Um, I mean, Joshua Zudu, best game of the year. Uh, Brian Anderson, best game of yeah. the year. Even though he was, you know, still banged up in that game, actually came out for a point. Kieran Johnson came in, didn't miss a beat even when yeah. Kieran was in. Um, which again, that's you know something that we've seen all year. He's done a great job filling in. I think the biggest guy that stood out to me though, Marcus McKeithen, had probably the best game of his whole career. Yeah. He was on the entire day. He was just manhandling guys, getting to the second level with ease. Um, and and I mean, Miami just no matter what they did, they had no answers for it. I mean, they threw everybody they possibly could at it. And Carolina's offensive line just found a way every time. You know, you talked about earlier in the season, about midway, Stacey Searle's job, you know, could be a little bit in question. Yeah. I think now, what we saw at the end of the year, granted, you could say whatever you want about that game against Notre Dame. I'm not putting that on Stacey Searles. I think that was just a really well-coached group on the on the defensive line on the other side against the, uh, a team in Carolina that's still, you know, trying to add the size, add the, the skill set that they need on their offensive line. But outside of that game, I think he really turned this season around, and he's really proven that he could be a valuable member of this staff. Going forward. Yeah, no, I mean, we can't speculate and see if that conversation was had, if his job was in question, but the way he coached the rest of the way, he acted like it, and he got his guys to get to a level where he hadn't been able to get them to before the, mm -hmm. the, the stretch of the season after he lost that game to Florida State, and that's a very positive sign. And, I mean, you had some guys that, you know, you had some death issues at time, and you got some – you found some gems in Brian Anderson – Kieran Johnson this year stepped in and, and played a big role for you. And that's a good thing is that he's showing you that he can develop offensive linemen. And if you're going to be a, if you're going to be able to compete with the Clemson's and the Notre Dame's yep. and the Miami's, you've got to have a deep offensive line to handle the deep, the deep defensive line. Those teams are going to throw at you. And they will the next couple of years. Got to remember two big guys coming in this year and Eli Sutton, Diego pounds, nobody leaving either. Right. So things are only going to get better for Stacey. Exactly. So um, really, really strong closure for his, his, his group as that was what really turned. That's what really saved the season for Carolina was right. the improved playoff the offensive line. Cause I'm with you. I'm not going to bank them up for that Notre Dame loss. I thought they right. competed and played as hard as they Definitely. could. Definitely. You just got beat better by a better team that day. If it would have been the same thing, if it had been the same issues like you had at Miami or not, or at Florida State, Virginia, it'd be a different discussion. That's not what happened. And so just a really, you know, good way to close the season because you close the season with momentum. And as I mentioned last week, you had to win this game to make sure, feel like you made progress. You took a step in the right direction. And you did that with that one on Saturday. Well, look, it wasn't just the offensive line where you ended up winning the line of scrimmage shockingly yeah this defensive line won the line of scrimmage in this game we thought it was possible because we knew that Miami's offensive line was still one of those that struggles in the ACC it just hasn't lived up to expectations but there were some question marks then you have Tamari Fox go down early in the game with an injury all of a sudden you were starting to wonder okay is there a way they can win this 
But they did. They won the line of scrimmage. Now, granted, a lot of the guys behind you stepped up and had a phenomenal day, probably their best days of the season. We'll talk about them in a second. But I think you've also got to give a hand to this defensive line stepping up in a game where they needed to against a quarterback and running game that they needed to step up against or they could have been in trouble. I wrote about it in the Trench Report article. As impressive as the offensive line was, the defensive line won you the ball game because you would have thought or you, there was a good chance that this game could have turned into a shootout and you didn't allow it to happen. You took the Eric King out of the game in the first half. He looked as right as he's looked all year. You, you, weren't, you didn't let them run the football the way they wanted to run the football. And that was because of what you did up front. And you mentioned the guys behind them that made the plays. You look at the stat sheet, no one on the defensive line stands out. No one had a great game. No one had a big game. But right. they did the job to allow the guys that you want to make the plays. Nobody had a bad game. Yeah. So that's the other. That's that the was the positive. Was that yeah. this, you know, yep. it looked like the defense last year where you allowed Chas Surratt to go make the plays of Jeremiah Gimble because they weren't covered up. They were in space. Right. And those guys made the plays that you asked them to make in the scheme in this defense. And that's, and that's what you take away from this game. We don't know the future of Jay Bateman's as a coordinator for Carolina. Unfortunately, if he's yeah. back in Chapel Hill, you may look, oh, they gave up 26 points. But the performance in the first half, you can build off of that because that's the best as defensive. This defense has looked against a power five opponent in two years. And, and, and again, I mean, this is something where you got to watch the game to tell how well they play because, yeah. you know, the first half, they, they end up allowing only 10 points. Second half, they allowed 16, but they allowed less yards. It, I mean, they and still – the game was over after the – Right, after and the they still – I mean, they looked about as good as you could have hoped for, especially when the first drive of the game, you have to have a diving um, pass breakup from Kyler McMichael to prevent what probably would have been a long touchdown. Yeah. And they – you know, you hold them to a field goal – and then the second or the third drive of the game, excuse me, second drive, you get a three and out. Third drive of the game, they drive all the way down to your 35 and go for it on fourth and one. They run it up the middle and Chas Surratt makes probably the biggest play of his career outside of the Duke interception right. to seal the game. Uh, when he just fills the hole about as well, fills the gap about as well as he has all season and just makes a great head up, heads up play. Yeah. Um, you know, that, I mean, all that stuff was extremely encouraging. And it's the reason why, you know, we came on here, we talked about it after, you know, mainly after that Wake Forest game, we said, okay, look, Carolina won the game, but this is a horrible defensive performance. We got to get something figured out. And we started questioning, you know, yeah, will Muschamp available? Jay Bateman, you know, there's some people that are really questioning his scheme, questioning the fact that he's not rotating guys in all this kind of stuff. And he stepped up. I don't know if maybe he was trying to save some of the guys for the end of the schedule to try to be able to throw the best defenses out there against Notre Dame and Miami. Maybe that is what happened. But the performances that that defense had in those two games were fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, even the game against Western Carolina, you know, your starters didn't look great, but then your young guys came in and gave you a lot of really positive things. And we saw a lot of those young guys again in this game. Uh, I mean, you know, of course, you talk about the guy that stood out the most was Jaquarius Conley, huge first half, six total tackles, was leading the team, uh, two tackles for loss, just was everywhere, all over the field, best game that he's had so far in his young career. Tony Grimes, you could say the same thing, third straight week that he starts, third straight week that I thought he got better. He was yeah. only targeted twice, comes away with his first career interception on one of those targets, and then Kyler McMichael was just Fantastic. Like I said, 
he you probably let up a long touchdown to begin the game if Kyler McMichael doesn't make the diving uh, pass deflection against Mark Pope on the outside. Yeah. That completely changed the the mindset around the Tar Heel team after that. I mean, you saw that. Granted, it was the first drive. But you could tell there was a little uneasiness. He ends up making that play, and you could see a little yeah. bit of a boost of confidence around this team. So, um, I, you know, I think that y- you look back at this defensive performance, this is what you're envisioning uh, with, with Jay Baton's defense going forward, yeah. especially when you add the guys you're going to eventually mm-hmm. add down the line. Yeah. And then, I mean, you also talk about Jeremiah Gimmel, huge day for him, eight total tackles, uh, seven solo tackles for him, two and a half tackles for loss. Was, you know, beat up a little bit in coverage. But, um, I, I mean, look, it, at this point, I think, you know, we talked about it earlier this year. You were, you know, the guy at, out of the two of us that was, you know, saying that you needed to see Bateman really step up or you never really know. We may have to look in a different direction. I, I, the end of the season, I think it's shown us enough where we can back off him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and I, I'm in that mindset because I think you have to be in that mindset. With to me. win now with yes. an older coach. Yes, yes. With, yes. With I understand Grant, the mindset for sure. Back. If you were trying to rebuild the program, you thought you had a guy that's going to be here for the next decade, you wouldn't you wouldn't be doing that. Right, 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 right. But Mac Brown took the job because you thought he could win now. So he's going to make moves that will benefit the program to winning at the highest level right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I leave – I, you know, if that's the last time we see this team play this year, I leave encouraged as we get ready for 2021 because they finished strong. Even the performance against Notre Dame and gave up 31 points. They played hard. They did things you asked them to do. You just got beat better by a better team that day. The Miami game was probably their worst match because you had a true dual-threat quarterback, which has killed this defense since mm-hmm. he took over. Yep. And he wasn't a – he wasn't the he, – he, he wasn't a factor. You took him out of the game early – yeah, he threw two touchdowns and had 240 yards and ran for 50 yards, but he was down 30 most of the game, so you don't really care. You didn't allow that guy to beat you. And most times, under Jay Bateman, those these guys would have beat you, and that didn't happen. So you finish the season on a high note, and you've got a lot of young talent coming back. You're bringing a lot of young talent in, so you feel encouraged if he's back on the sidelines in 2021. Yeah, and then the last thing that we'll talk about here before we give out our players of the game, and you got to be encouraged with this. We had pointed this out for every game, pretty much every game this season especially the big games you gotta be disciplined Miami is a team that has struggled with discipline just like you if you can win that battle you can win this game Carolina wasn't penalized much now it may not have mattered that much in this game with the way that you were running the football the way that you were playing defense but it's still one of those things that we wanted to see get cleaned up and in this game they took care of business yeah no Matt Brown said leading into the game this was their best week of preparation best week of practice everything on the field prove that because you mass 778 yards of offense. You only had five penalties for 50 yards. If you're not going to have that kind of number, you'll live with that. Yeah. That's, that's, oh, yeah. that's, that's a, that's a good number to have. Cause you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make penalties, but this is the most complete performance we've seen from Carolina under Mac Brown. Probably since you go back to that 66 31 win over Duke back in the magical 2015 season where they were just, they were dominant and yeah. that's what they were on. They, they scored 62 points and held the ball for 40 minutes. They held the ball for over two-thirds of the game and still scored north of 60. Like, they did things that you can only do on a video game on the actual field against a top-10 opponent on the road. Right. So, yeah, I mean, as many times as they ran the football, everything like that, they still did not run more plays than Miami in the game. Yeah, they did. Did they, oh they 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 did at halftime they were Miami had run over ten more plays than Carolina yeah no Carolina ran seventy five plays Miami only ran fifty nine okay so Carolina caught up and passed them later on in the game but Carolina 
early on. That was another big thing. They were hitting the long plays early. I told you about the stat when we were coming home, and there's so many great ones that you can take from this game. Carolina on first downs alone, they had 778 yards of total offense. Of course, great stat. That was the most against Miami in their program history. Yeah. Of those 778 yards, Carolina had 506 of them on first down plays alone. It should be illegal to that's, be that good on first down. That's unbelievable. Yeah. That just shows you right there how well your offensive line yeah. was playing. They were opening holes that big that your guys could pick up that many yards on first downs. I mean, we've talked about chunk plays. That's what this offense thrives on. I mean, we mostly talk about it in the passing game, and, well, hell, they had two of them in the passing game as well. 51-yard throw to De'Ami Brown, 87-yard throw to De'Ami Brown. Um, but, I, I mean, this is just – I mean, it's it's unreal, the offensive numbers that this group put up. This is the biggest thing that, you know, we'll finish up with here from this game uh, before we hand out our players of the game. We had talked a lot about what this game meant for the 2020 season for the Toros. Coming into the week, we were talking, this determines the direction of your season. For Carolina to win this game, it's, first of all, it's so much easier on us here on the podcast. Because if not, we would have had to go really deep into discussing what exactly this season was, really have to think about it. Now, this is a success. This season is seen as a success. Yeah. For sure. I mean, look, would you have loved to make the ACU championship game? Yes. Were odds stacked against you when Notre Dame came into the conference, though? Yes. You knew that coming in. You're going to end up virtually finishing third. Percentages, Miami will still finish ahead of you, but it is what it is. You're still going to have a chance to play for the Orange Bowl because you're going to be the third highest ranked team in the ACC. So if Clemson takes care of business against Notre Dame and barring Notre Dame just getting absolutely destroyed they're probably going to go into the playoff you could be going to your first orange bowl ever i don't think there is any way even if you don't go to the orange bowl and you may disagree with me on that that you can classify the season as not being successful yeah no and i said going into the game if they wanted to if this season wants to they had to win on saturday they did that no matter what happens in terms of the bowl slate where they make the orange bowl or not you won more games than you did a year ago. You won your quote-unquote state championship for the second straight year because you beat all right. – or, or no, for the first time under Matt Reckless, you lost to Wake Forest a year ago. So you got that check mark. So you took a step in the right direction. And that's what you had to do because you're, you're, you're building for next year anyway because you have more of your guys for both your offense and your defensive scheme coming in here. And as you said, once Notre Dame got admitted to the ACC for COVID-19 reasons, it was going to make it harder to get to the ACC championship. We had a whole, we had a whole damn show about it right. on here. So we knew there was we knew this was going to be a, so, a problem. Um, but, yeah, no, this season now with that win is a success. Yeah, definitely. So we'll hand out our offensive, defensive players of the game. Well, let's do the defense because there's not really as much suspense with that. Um, I mean, look, there were still some good candidates here. I think Jeremiah yeah. Gimmel put up a performance worthy of it. I don't know about – for you, for me, that was his best performance of the year. I thought so. Most complete performance mm-hmm. from him. Uh, Tony Grimes, I thought best performance from him yeah. uh, for the year as well. He's won one of the defensive players of the game. But I got to give it to Jaquarius Conley. I know he didn't really do a whole lot in the second half. I remember him getting banged up on a play. Didn't miss any time due to that. Um, but I, I still think you just look at the way that he played. This was what you envisioned from him early in the year. You would put him out there in the nickel. He started early in the season for you. He was playing well. He gets banged up, came back. He didn't really look the same, but then he emerges in this game, steps up when you needed him to. He was everywhere on the edges of your defense, making tackles in the run game. Mm -hmm. He made a couple of nice plays 
in uh, in space in the past and in, in past defense. So uh, I think you really have to give him the defensive player of the game in this one. Are you are you are you going to agree or you think uh, there's an argument for someone? I would probably go Chasserat because he got that stop on fourth down, and who knows what happens if the game goes the other way. But Jacarius Crowley is going to be a part of this defense moving forward, and that's a big-time performance for him for a guy that we know will be on the field next season. Yeah, Surratt, another one. Ten total tackles in the game, as we mentioned. That huge stop on fourth down. Uh, he just played sensational. Also, uh, once you know, we haven't seen it much from him. Dry, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, dropped into coverage 33 times the other day and did a fantastic job. Yeah. He had two pass deflections as well. Once again, the – Part of this that, you know, when we go back to the season recap, we'll be a little frustrated about saying, look how good he was in coverage against Miami. If you would have put him in coverage more often, it may have worked out a little better for you. But uh, still, you move to the offensive side of the ball. And, I mean, look, there are so many guys that you can get. I mean, look, Deami Brown in this game, this is another stat that we've just got to read off. Yeah. Of. Carolina had 224 yards passing in this game. Deami Brown had 167 of those yards go to him on four catches the whole day. Yeah, that's pretty good. Every catch was either 14 yards or more down the field. That I mean, that's unheard of, those numbers. I mean, just a fantastic day for him. Sam Howell, 14 of 19, uh, had 223 yards passing, had the passing touchdown, had a rushing touchdown on the day, and had a receiving touchdown today, a second career receiving touchdown. This one a little more difficult than the first one. Had to kind of, I wouldn't call it a dive, but he took sort of the clumsy stumble after catching it. Yeah. Um, but uh, just a, another great game for him. I, it's like I put him in, in my article in the stock report. This dude, no matter what, everybody else around him is having great performances. He's sort of getting out of the way, letting them do their thing. He still finds a way to do something nobody's done before or hasn't done in a while. That was the first quarterback in the ACC to pass for a touchdown, run for a touchdown, catch a touchdown since Marquise Williams back in 2014. So, I mean, just sensational for him, but the two running backs yeah. were the stars of this. It's tough. I got to give it to Michael Carter. I mean, you run for 308 in this game. That's the second most in Carolina history. Can you name who was the first performer out of that? It's, I don't think you're going to be able to get it. It was in 1986 against Virginia. Nah. Derek Fetter. 328 yards. Yeah, never heard of that guy. Against Virginia. You know, had a pretty solid season that year, but not one of the guys that would appear on any all-time running back list in right. Carolina. But just a sensational performance for him. Fourth most rushing yards in ACC history in a game. This was just a huge performance. And to do it against Miami, a team that was – in his home state, a team that he probably grew up wanting to get an offer from, and to do it in front of his family, I think was just special for him. I, I got to give it to him, but hell, you could make a case for Javante, two, Diami, so many guys. Yeah, there. no, you definitely got to give it to one of the two running backs because they set the tone and they were, Carol, as good as Sam Howell is and was. They were your two best players on the side of the football all for year sure. long. For sure. And they showed up in a big way on Saturday and carried you to, you know, a pretty big win. So, yeah. I'd give it to both of them if I had to, but we can give it to Carter. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't. We don't have a graphic where we can put both runs right. in the same graphic, but maybe we can. Maybe we can. We can work it around. Um, but I mean, just f f sensational all around day from the running backs and. 
I hate to say it, man. We 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 may have one more game with them. I don't I, I don't see yeah. them coming back next year. It really stinks, but these guys, man, that was fun to watch. Uh Javante's two runs running over Amari Carter a couple of times. That was just great to watch. So uh so many highlights that'll come out of that game. And just one of those games that makes you feel good to be a Carolina football fan. Yeah, it, it, it just makes you happy because they did what they had to do in this game. Um, they even surprised you a little bit yeah. at the same time. Um, so yeah, that uh that's the final game of the regular season now Carolina will go into a waiting process here it's really all going to depend on what happens this weekend in Charlotte so I guess you know we can discuss this a little bit here as well because there's been some back and forth on this throughout Tariel Twitter really just Twitter in general when you look at this Saturday of course if you're a Carolina fan you're pulling for Clemson because if, if I think the better scenario is that if Clemson wins they get in I'm the nut job that thinks if even if Clemson loses, if they lost close, the playoff committee loves Clemson that much that they would try to find a way to put them in. But you want to avoid that conversation altogether. You want Clemson to win. But I think there are some people that still believe if Clemson wins and if Notre Dame can't keep it close, which I, I don't know what the definition of close is in their mind, that Clemson would get in, Notre Dame would be out. I don't think there's a scenario unless – Notre Dame gets beat by like 50 that they're out. First of all, Notre Dame brings the brand. Notre Dame is an extremely historic program. I know they've struggled in the playoff before, but Notre Dame being good, we've talked about this. Notre Dame being good is good for college football. Similar to Michigan, similar to Texas schools like that. Is there a scenario where you see Clemson winning and Notre Dame not getting into the playoff? Unless the game is a blowout. No. If it's a one or even if it's a two-possession game, but the game is closer out, Notre Dame is going to be in the playoff. They're one of the four best teams in the country that are worthy of playing for a national championship. Ohio State does not deserve to play for a championship. You've played not over Notre Dame. No. You would play after Saturday at least six that. games. Mm-mm. Notre Dame beat Clemson at home. They went on the road and beat Carolina, who, you know, is, is going to be a top 15 team in the country. Yes. They've got two oh, yeah. of the best wins of any team. In college football. Especially this year, for sure. And yes. as we've seen with the playoff committee this year, they've rewarded the teams that have been on the field the most through COVID. Notre Dame has played as full as a schedule as any team that's going to be in the playoff um, themselves. So unless, I mean, unless Clemson absolutely walks the dog, which is possible because this is Clemson and they own the ACC championship game, Notre Dame's in the playoff. Notre Dame's right. one of the four best teams in college football. Yeah, the other I I don't care what anybody wants to say. They were they were talking about this whenever that game happened. People are going to say this is not a great win for Notre Dame because they beat DJ Uyunglele. That that young man threw for four hundred and thirty something yards in that game. He looked about as good as you could have. Yeah. And they still lost, not because that Clemson just didn't have the talent that night. They lost because Notre Dame outplayed them. Notre Dame outplayed their offensive line. Clemson has one of the best offensive lines in the country. Notre Dame outplayed their defensive line. They weren't missing any huge names on the defensive line. And even if they were missing a guy, they have five stars right behind them that rotate in that are the next guys. That's not an excuse. So I believe, like like you said, they have two of the best wins on their schedule. And, and everything else that they've got going for them, the program history that I talked about, just the overall brand, 
they will find a way to put them in as long as they don't get blown out in that game. And, and, and if Clemson wins, they are automatically locked in. That's the scenario that Toriel fans are hoping for, because then that means that Carolina would be the team that would go to the Orange Bowl. Yeah. They'd go right back to Hard Rock Stadium where they were just at. More than likely, they would end up meeting a team like Texas A&M. Um, it, you know, possibility that it could have been Florida, that's out the window now. Um, another interesting scenario, uh, I don't think it would end up happening, but if they changed some of the tie-ins, you could see Sam Howell, who went to Sun Valley High School in Indian Trail, take on Grayson McCall, who went to Porter Ridge High School in Indian Trail. They were rivals in high school. They came out in the same graduating class. One went to North Carolina, one went to Coastal Carolina. You could see those two match up, but more than likely, it would be a matchup with Texas A&M if they end up missing out on the college football playoff. And that would be huge for Carolina. If they don't go to that game, let's say that Clemson loses or let's say Clemson blows out Notre Dame that much, Notre Dame slips down, goes into the Orange Bowl, doesn't make the college football playoff, that Carolina more than likely ends up in the Russell Athletic Bowl again. My biggest question with that is if they go, if they are selected for the Russell Athletic Bowl and the other team on the other side is healthy enough to play, is that a game that you think Carolina should play or you think they should call it a season? I think it depends on who you play. Okay. I think if you're not going to a New Year's Six Bowl game this year in COVID, I wouldn't play the game. Um, but I also don't think that they should have 40-something bowl games anyway. And I Well, we both believe that's a whole that's a whole podcast so, in and of itself. That's, but but I, I think if for Carolina, if you get a good matchup and it's a team that you can match yourself up against and get a chance to be better, and it's another good program, and maybe it's, say, it's Oklahoma or some school like that, then go, then go play them. But if you're playing some middle of the road team, I wouldn't, I wouldn't waste it. I wouldn't waste the time being away from your family around the holidays or something like that to go play in that bowl game. But that's me. Yeah, I, I think, I think that's a, that's a pretty good point. I'm trying to look up uh, some of the tie-ins because I know they, they change every year. It's just, it's well, like, and with COVID, it's unbelievable. They're going, they're going to, they're going to make as many things to get as many games to get as much money as they can. Right. I think Matt Brown would just say, look, guys, if we're not going to the Orange Bowl, I think he'd let the players decide they want to play. Right. So it would be the Camping World Bowl would be yeah. the one that we're looking at here, actually. That's the new name. And, for the, and there's a tie-in with the Big 12, so you could get an right. Oklahoma. So it would, it, it's or basically – Or an Oklahoma State. It's I'd the, go play that game. Right. It's the same game that you played back in 2015 against Baylor. Mm-hmm. It's the, it'd be the same bowl. It's just changed around, same location. But, yeah, a very solid Big 12 – opponent to me like Oklahoma would be great that's the team that you've been comparing yourself to offensively that you wanted to get to why not throw a test out against them Oklahoma State yeah I mean look Chuba Hubbard's not there it's not the same Oklahoma State that some people thought could make the college football playoff if enough things went crazy but still a very good team so yeah I I agree with you I think you know what will end up probably happening is that Mac Brown and his staff will leave it up to the players. They'll ask them, "Do you want to play in this game?" If the players say yes, then the staff will be on board and say, "Look, let's go play this game." Um, if they get into the Orange Bowl, they got no choice. There's, the, I don't care if the players don't want to play in the game. You're going to play in the Orange Bowl, but they're going to want to play in that game anyways. That'd be the first time Carolina would be in the Orange Bowl, so it would just be 
huge. And uh, we'll, we'll have you covered, of course, on all of that. Um, of course, we'll, we, you know, we'll, we'll try to put out an article sort of breaking down the possibilities. We'll probably try to do that Saturday into Sunday after Clemson plays Notre Dame, sort of tell you where we expect Carolina will land. Um, but, uh, you know, this year, not quite as much drama as in the past few years when it comes to what bowl could Carolina land in. It looks like it's going to be one of two. And we're, you know, again, not 100% sure that they're going to play. But I would say going in, look, this you should feel pretty confident that Saturday wasn't the last time that we're going to see Carolina yeah. play. I think they'll, they'll give them another opportunity to get out there. Um, so that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Now, of course, as Josh mentioned, there are there are some rumors going around that Jay Bateman, Lonnie Galloway, and Stacey Searles are involved in talks when it comes to the South Carolina job to be a part of Shane Beamer's staff. Now, again, nothing is concrete. These are all just rumors. Do not look into this. Do not send any messages to the coaches, anything like that. These are all rumors. There is nothing concrete to these at the moment. But the feeling is, is that as, as of right now, most people are still confident that these guys will be here going forward. Uh, they are, you know, there are some other names that have been thrown around in terms of defensive coordinators, wide receivers, coach, offensive line coaches, but it is something that is worth noting. If there is any news on that, we will of course have you covered on the Heels Up blog website. Meanwhile, the big day that is coming up is tomorrow, the day after we are filming this. I'm actually going to put this video together tonight. So we are going to have this up ready to go for you because we want to get this stuff out to you. So tomorrow, starting early, crack of dawn, we'll be up getting ready. I'll be up. He ain't going to be up. He's lazy. He ain't gonna be that. Uh, I'll be up covering everything for you in terms of National Signing Day for the football team. All 18 guys that are committed to Carolina's class right now are expected to sign tomorrow morning. Uh, again, one day, the, the one day in America where fax machines are extremely important. So uh, they, they'll be rolling in. Uh, we expect that everybody's going to go ahead and sign early. I, I know that a lot of people are saying, well, they got all these sort of, you know, the, these, uh, these Instagram live ceremonies that they're going to be doing, everything like that. All of that stuff is usually just, it's for show. Most guys have their stuff in really early. It, you know, if a guy's having a ceremony at seven o'clock at night, Mac Brown and his staff ain't sitting there hanging out at the football offices till seven o'clock at night. It's probably not happening. They're going to send their stuff in earlier in the day. They may not release the fact that they did sign, but there's no surprises in this one. Like, uh, I think if, if I'm correct, because of how National Signing Day was back then, Sam Howell sent his letter of intent that he signed to Mac Brown and Carolina before he signed it. When we went and saw when I went and saw him sign um, his senior year at Sun Valley, I could be wrong on that. He may have actually signed the physical letter of intent right there, um, but that's usually how most of it goes. It's all for show. It's nothing to worry about. More than likely, all the guys will be in. But we'll have you covered from the minute that it starts until the minute that it ends. We'll also have a show tomorrow night. It'll be me and Zach Hubbard who will be taking you through everything when it comes to the 2021 class that Carolina is signing early. We'll also talk to you about whether or not we think Carolina will add anybody else in the class. And of course, maybe give you a slight look ahead to that 2022 class. So you guys won't want to miss that. That'll be both on the website, heeltoughblog.com with articles. And then uh, we'll have stuff on the Facebook page, stuff on the podcast feed as well. Heel Tough blog podcast to make sure that you guys are checking all that out. Um, you know, for the general podcast, again, make sure that you guys like and follow the Facebook page. 
It'll give you all the information you need. You'll have all the articles on your timeline when you like and follow the page. And you'll also get notified whenever we put up a new video. So you won't have to worry about trying to look for it. It'll say, Heel Tough Blog is about to premiere a video. You can click right on it and it should take you to the link to be able to watch the video. And then, of course, we also, for those people that are listening to the podcast, we encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you are on. So whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Spotify, any of those, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. The rating and reviewing moves us up some of those rankings. The subscribing, that's for you. Whenever you subscribe, we'll put out a new episode. It'll be right in your podcast player. So whenever you want to listen to the latest edition, you can do it. It's right there for you. You can pull it up right in your queue and have it ready to go. So that does it for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. I want to thank Josh for hosting with me once again. I want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Tar Heels.